I get a lot of satisfaction out of watching people do great things and things that make them happy. And, you, you know, as, as leadership, it's it's the responsibility of leaders to figure out what motivates people. You know, some people just want public praise. Some people just want to be, you know, uh, privately praised. Some people just want the money. And at the end of the day, as I spent my life, you know, spending time trying to figure people out, I realized the thing that I need the most, the fuel for me is to watch people succeed and help people succeed and do the things that are necessary for people to be successful and have a good time and enjoy and have fun doing it. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, where being a high achiever doesn't necessarily equate to being an effective leader. Let's check to see if you're in the right place. If you're rising through the ranks of your organization so fast that your leadership skills need to grow as fast as your responsibilities, you're in the right place. If it seems you need different skills to lead your team or lead from within a group of talented, competitive peers, you're in the right place. If you're looking to become a trusted advisor to the CEO, you are definitely in the right place. So now that we know that you're in the right place, enjoy today's conversation. Before we begin, I have something for you. Have you not read Only Tens 2.0 yet? If you've been listening to the show, my guess is you have read it. Would you like to give away a copy to someone you care about, someone who's struggling with time and energy management, someone who needs to focus on the important things? Well, if you go to markjsilverman.com, click on the red resource buttons, we have put a free copy of Only Tens 2.0 for you to download, and you can upload it onto your electronic device of choice. I hope you enjoy. So as I was getting ready for today's episode, I went onto LinkedIn and I looked at my next guest's profile because I wanted to make sure I did a LinkedIn recommendation. If you, if you know people that you really like and you really want to help, do a LinkedIn recommendation. So I go to do that today because I want to do it before he comes on the show. And what pops up, the first recommendation on there, it's from Mark J. Silverman in 2011. So this is what I said about my guest. As the VP of our sales division at Data Domain, I could count on John Sapone to expertly coach me in any sales situation. He would meet and impress any corporate executive or solve an internal problem immediately. John led our organization with a commitment to excellence and a passion for success that supported us to overachieve consistently. John is a sales executive I would follow to any organization, and I know I would be surrounded by winners. Officially, John Sapone is the SVP of sales at Snowflake, which is a cloud computing-based data company. He's also served as vice president of sales at ServiceNow and at several other startups. I met him at Data Domain way back then, way back in 2011. John, thanks for being on the show. Mark, it's such a pleasure, and it's so good to see you again. It's, it's been too long. Thanks for having me. Can you believe I wrote that back in 2011? Like I, I back back then, that's what I thought of you. Well, you were a real thought leader. That's what I have to say about that. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. It was it was it was it was foreshadowing. Uh, one of the things that really stands out though is you were really young when I met you, and now that I'm 60, I realize how young you were leading a, a sales organization. How did you? How did, what made you want to get into sales leadership? Because you were a, a kick-ass sales guy, making money, having freedom. What makes you want to be a leader? You know, Mark, I never really thought about that until you and I started talking about it right before we, we we started recording this podcast. I 
I guess when I go back and do the math, I was probably in my mid thirties. And to me back then, I, I didn't even really focus on my age. It was, it was really the mission that was at hand. And, you know, I'd learned so much over really a small period of time, not only because of all the mistakes that I made, but it was really the people that I was surrounded by. And it, and it really, you know, it started early on in my, it started at the beginning of my per- professional career where I, I had a, a really just sort of an interesting journey on how I even got into technology sales that provided me sort of a foundation of where I was able to get to maybe in some people's mind in an accelerated fashion. So I, I, I live in Atlanta, as you know, I've been here almost 30 years, which is, that is really humbling for me to think about. I, people ask me how I ended up in Atlanta back in 1993. And the truth be told, I was moving down here with a buddy of mine and we missed the exit for Charlotte and ended up in Atlanta at two o'clock in the morning and and ended up, you know, stayed in a hotel, come to find out the next day we go to rent an apartment and and then the rest is, you know, our our roots were cemented here in Atlanta. And so we kind of we kind of continued the perpetuated the college dream for a little while. And I realized that I didn't have any money, so I needed a job. And 93 were coming out, you know, sort of a small recession in the early 90s. And getting a job wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be because I didn't really I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so I went and applied at a Home Depot store. I didn't get the job. I could tell you the individual's name, but I won't name the name. I, I actually applied that same day for a job at Chuck E. Cheese. No joke. <laughs> I didn't I didn't get the job at Chuck E. Cheese. I love these humble, these humble beginning stories are the best. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. And and so I, I went I went home and, and sort of put my tail between my legs for a little while. And then I said, come on, man, like it, I, I got to get a job. I, I have to pay rent. And so I went to Kinko's. I printed out a bunch of resumes. The next morning I woke up, put on a suit and tie and I found a, an office park and I went door to door and I just asked them if they were hiring. And then the third door that I knocked on, young lady, I know exa- I could tell you her name and I can remember her vividly. I walked in. Her name was Sherry. I'll just say that. And I asked Sherry if she was hiring and she said, for what? I said, I don't care. I just need a job. And she looked me in the eye and she said, do you know the difference between a sales order and a purchase order? And I said, I absolutely do. My mother had run a small business. And so I, I, I had some experience with that. And so that day I got a job making $6 an hour being an inside salesperson that looked in a phone book and picked up the phone and made cold calls for a technology reseller. That's how I got into sales. Wow. Training ground. Yeah, it was remarkable. And it was a really small company, which was, I guess it was probably good and bad. I mean, good in the fact that I was a, I ended up staying there nine years, by the way. I, I got the equivalent of an MBA because I became so close with the owner and she was a true visionary and, and understand the the technology and understand the numbers, but she could not, she couldn't, she couldn't sell anything if her, her life depended on it because that just wasn't her skill set. And so I quickly elevated to become, you know, an outside salesperson there. And and the organization, we landed a bunch of really big contracts in the next year or so. And so we started investing in the sales organization and boom, I became the vice president of sales there. And, And now, mind you, I'm probably 25, 24 years old at this time. Yeah, I was 24 and I was about as equipped to be a vice president of sales as one of my dogs. And I have three dogs and they probably, the three of them could have done the job better than I did 
as I look back on it now. And, and you know, I, I'm fortunate to be able to look back on it now. And and, and that, that career was a great one because of really all the, the experience that I got there. And, and uh, I remember the day I decided to take a different job. I cried. I, I, we cried. The owner and I cried together because it was it was so impactful for both of us. We changed each other's lives and she was happy for me. And, you know, I was really happy for her. And in the end, it worked out really well for her. So how did that make your career track later? So because eventually eventually you went to bigger companies. Yeah, there uh, there was a gentleman that walked in my office. One of the companies that we, that we resold, it was a backup software company, came in my office one day and he kind of joked and he said, you own this place, right? And uh, I was like, no, man, I, I'm I'm just I'm just a sales guy. I think were my exact words to him. And he's like, well, we we want to. Um, I, I need to hire somebody here in Atlanta. Do you know anybody? And at this point in my career, we had just my wife and I had just had our first son. I had been at this company for nine years. At, at some point, the owner and I were trying to figure out if I could buy the company, take a majority equity mm-hmm. stake. And you know, when I started to really run the numbers. It just wasn't, my, my passion had faded there and, and I needed to get, I needed to get a little bit of my life back and get back to center and potentially spend a little bit of time with this, this child that I had just had. And, and, uh, I wanted to prove to myself that I could actually really still sell something. And, and so I decided to go to work for that organization and, and just carry a bag and, and, and prove to nobody else but myself that I actually had the grit and the scrappiness and the, I mean, maybe the humbleness just to go and and pick up the phone and go and knock on doors again and go do some deals. And it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, well, I knew your reputation as just one of the best sales guys in the company before you moved into management. What shifted you again to say, okay, now I've done this. Now I want to lead people, especially the crazy people who you know are in sales. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you, there was... There were a number of opportunities in that in that period of time where I was at that software company to get into leadership. And and I just wasn't, I'll just tell you, I just it wasn't I wasn't interested in doing that. And there there's probably a number of reasons that aren't applicable to this conversation, but it was it just wasn't the right time. And and then and then everything changed. And there was I, I landed the biggest deal that the company had ever done from a commercial perspective. And this guy kept calling me and kept calling me because he wanted me to come to work for this company that I'd heard of, but I didn't really know much about. And he hounded me. So finally, one day I decided to meet this guy by the name of Dave Schneider for a cup of coffee. And so Dave and I sat down and he convinced me that I needed to come out to California and interview for a, uh, a sales position at Data Domain. And Interestingly enough, back then, you know, I knew I was kind of ready for a change. And I had a real good friend that lived in California. I hadn't seen him in a little while. I figured, you know what? I'll get a free trip out to California. I'll go and do this interview. But I, good news is I'll get to see my buddy that I grew up with. And and the, the I got to see my buddy that I grew up with. And the very next day, Dave picks me up at the, at the hotel. We go, we get a Starbucks. And I walk into the office of Data Domain. And I mean, back then... I mean, there maybe were 50 people there. It was, I, I like, I looked around the office and I was like, holy smokes, like there's cables running everywhere. Like this is, this is like a startup, like real, real startup. And I walk into the conference room, it's a big table. I mean, it, it's a mess, it, like a mess. 
And in walks this, this individual that, you know, next to Dave Schneider changed my life forever. And that man was Frank Slubin. And Frank and I sat down and we, we talked and he's like, well, what, you know, what, what are you here for? I was like, I don't know. You were the guys, you were the people that called me. Tell me why I'm here. And uh, he didn't appreciate that. I'll tell you, it was <laughs> it was kind of funny. You know, I played a little, tried to play a little mind game with him and it didn't work so well. And, and in the end, I, I almost missed my flight. And I called my wife, literally run to the gate. And I was like, I'm taking that job. Mm. She goes, did they offer it to you? I go, absolutely not. But I'm going to get that job. I guarantee it. And so that was the beginning of, you know, the, the relationship between uh, Frank Slootman and, and Dave Schneider. Uh, that's amazing. So what, what position did you get hired for? I was a sales rep. I was like the sixth sales rep in the world. What, what I knew, though, as I was flying home and sort of playing this forward, because I knew I was going to get the job, that was not an option. I mean, maybe I was a little bit overly confident, but you know, I, I had this, this chip on my shoulder that I had something to prove to nobody but myself. And I literally said to Frank, I said, Frank, you know, if I get this job, let me rephrase that. When I get this job, exactly what I said, because he was asking me about leadership and he had seen that I was a leader for a number of, of years. He said, when I become your number one salesperson, only then will I earn the right to interview for a, a management position. But mark my words, I will be a manager. I will be a leader at this company in 12 months. And uh, and so I ended up taking the, the role. And, and uh, about 12 months later, I, I got promoted to be the, the director of the Southeast. That was... Uh, that was uh, that was in two thousand and six. I can't I can't remember these years. That's a, that's amazing that you can that you can figure that out. Yeah. So again, so again, one of the one of the reasons people get promoted is because they're really good at what they do. Then they get promoted to help other people do what they used to do. A completely different set of skills. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always been, you know, I, I've always had I've always had this this undercurrent of, of a desire to help other people be great. And I, I don't know why. I, I it, it, It's not anything that I've really spent any time trying to hone that skill, but I get a lot of satisfaction out of watching people do great things and things that make them happy. And, you, you know, as, as leadership, it's it's the responsibility of leaders to figure out what motivates people. You know, some people just want public praise. Some people just want to be, you know, uh, privately praised. Some people just want the money. And at the end of the day, as I spent my life, you know, spending time trying to figure people out, I realized the thing that I need the most, the fuel for me is to watch people succeed and help people succeed and do the things that are necessary for people to be successful and have a good time and enjoy and have fun doing it. And that's to me, you know, at the end, if I boil it all down, I mean, so there, there's there's definitely plenty of schools of thought around, you know, leadership and, and and styles and training. And I have an expression that I've used my entire career that is natural leaders lead naturally. And when I'm when I'm watching from afar and I'm watching, you know, um, sales teams, I can tell you pretty, pretty well who's going to be the next leader. They're the they're the 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 field general, as I call them. They're the people that their peers go to when they don't want to talk to the direct manager because they don't want to seem like they're stupid or they're embarrassed mm. or they they don't want to get exposed. And it's that one individual that everybody goes to. And that individual is always willing to take the time. That individual is the person that 
you know, if I went and said, hey, hey, Mary, um, I'm thinking about promoting Steve or I'm thinking about promoting, you know, Heather. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's awesome. Like she's the Mm -hmm. person I always go to. and, And that's just those are skills that, you know, that you just yes, you can develop them. Yes, you can you can you can hone them. But some of that stuff you just can't teach. It's interesting in the, in the rising leader program that I have uh, the module that we talk about leading in a group of peers. I, I actually confront the people and I say, do you want to be the person who gets promoted? And everybody is like, ah, he it was political. He did this. He did that. Or do you want or do you want to be that person who everybody's like, yep, that's the guy. That's the girl. That's the one. That's the person I want to follow. And you can consciously cultivate that as you move up the ladder. I think that was something that was natural for you. I don't think it's natural for most people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to, you have to really, in your heart of hearts, look to see what it is you actually want to accomplish. And for many people, their true north is a title. Their true north is being at the top. But that was never really my true north. Right. My true north didn't. I didn't. I didn't have to be. I didn't have to be the VP of sales to have a a, a direct impact on multiple people internally in the organization or, or even externally for that matter, people that weren't even on my team. You know, it's funny enough. I literally just received a phone call from one of my peers asking my advice on how to communicate with our CEO. I mean, I don't have a dog in the fight, but it's one of those things that for me, that, that, provides me, you know, a ton of happiness because this individual trusts me enough and trusts, trusts what I do and knows that I'm not going to judge. I'm not, I'm not going to use this against them. To me, it's just a matter of, let me help you make sure that you're successful. And that's something that I don't know. It's what I've always wanted to do. It's done me. It's done me well. I know. Again, again, that's, that's who you are. It's not who most people are. So when you're coaching you, when you're bringing up other leaders, and you're coaching them and looking for that piece and looking to develop that piece of helping the people who are lateral to you, helping everybody else in the company. How do you coach that? How do you help bring that out? Well, I mean, a lot of it starts with asking them what they want to do. And it becomes a real litmus test when it is, I want to be the CRO or I want your job. That to me right there, you know, there's a young man. He came in my office the other day. We, I mentor a lot of the young, the young people here in Atlanta. It's great because we've got a lot of young people in the office, and I make them send me their three items that they want to talk about 24 hours in advance. And one, his first, his first, his first item was, I want to talk about the skills it takes to be a great leader. And so he comes in my office, and we start talking, and and I said, okay, so your first point that you want to talk about is how to be a great leader. I said. Um, Maybe we should start with how did you, you you become a great salesperson? Because you're 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 an SDR or a BDR right now, and you have no experience in what it takes to be a successful salesperson. And and I I have a lot of passion around this. I I don't know any any successful sales leaders that have ever not carried a bag and been a successful salesperson. Let me say that again. I don't know any successful sales leaders that have never been a successful salesperson. And I said to this individual, I said, everything we do is negotiating a contract. You now, I just promoted you. You have six people. They're brand new. They've never negotiated a contract. 
have you ever looked at our contracts? He said, no. I said, there you go. Let's focus on the skills it takes to be a great salesperson so that ultimately you can you know, add a tremendous amount of value when you do get into leadership. I think that's the thing. You know, it's everybody feels like they can they can fast forward, they can fast track mm. their career. And I, I'm not saying that age has anything to do with one's ability to be great at the next level. I'm saying experience plays a very major role in it. And, and, and there are steps that you have to take and boxes that you have to check if you really want to add value. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say you did promote someone and you and you have someone on your team who is uh, a little, maybe a resource hog or isn't that much of a team player and you have to correct them and you have to kind of get them in line. Give me a story of someone that you've been able to bring along and really mold them more in your shape than in the selfish fiefdom kind of guy. I do that every day. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> you know, it, and it's it, it's interesting. And, and, and in the line of work that I'm in today, I mean, there's there's no fewer than 13, 12 or 13 business units that are on my staff call every Monday morning. And so every single one of those organizations has an impact on our ability to be successful in the field, an impact on my sales team to be you know, successful in the field and successful for our customers as well. And salespeople, a lot of sales, that's a generalization. I'll stop there. There's a lot of personalities when it comes to salespeople, big and large personalities that our job is we spend a lot of time persuading people. Like I get paid to persuade people. That's what we do. That's we 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 have this way of of trying to go and 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 you know build solutions and get customers to go and do things. And and if you can't get the people, this happens, the people that those 13 people in line with your vision and get a vision match, a lot of times people have temper tantrums. And so there was a situation that I had where one of my vice presidents and one of our business units it had come to a, a massive head where they were li like literally i can't work together i'm gonna quit this and that and blah 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 and and i i actually s sat each one of them down individually and i said to one of them i said you're a, an adult i want you to go back and read the email that you sent to me read that email and once you've read it, call me back. Nice. And this individual called me back and they said, I'm embarrassed. I said, you should be. You should be embarrassed because this is not a personal indictment on you and your ability. You two can't come to an agreement because you keep digging your heels in. And here's the reality of it all. You can work here or you cannot work here. And I'm going to ask you and I'm going to have the conversation with the other individual to figure this out. And if you can't figure this out, we're going to have to make a change. And that's it. And the funny thing about that was that it was, Mark, it was so bad, <laughs> so bad that I couldn't believe I had to have this conversation that literally the other day I asked that individual that works for me, I said, hey, how are things going with so-and-so? By the way, this was a year ago. And his response was, man, it's going freaking awesome awesome like i can't believe all the friction was out of the gears is out of the gears and it was just a you just got to take a step back and you got to rise above it and, and it's when somebody realizes that it's not about getting your way and about getting a win it's about working together to solve really the ultimate outcome which in this case is taking care of a customer like come on it's not that hard 
that I mean that like that's that's pretty recent. My fa- my favorite part about that is that that was classic coaching. That wasn't telling. That was letting no. that that person figure out for themselves where they were off. Once they have that light bulb moment, now they're like, I have to fix that. That was that was really cool. It's it's interesting. I had I have a couple of clients in one on one leadership team, and I do these three sixty interviews. I'm sure you've had a 360 done where, you know, all the, you pull the audience, people above, people below to find out, you know, what, what are they good at? What are they, what are their challenges? That kind of thing. To one guy to talk about the other guy that I'm coaching, I said, so when is so-and-so at their leadership best? And there was silence. We waited for a second. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't consider him a leader. I was like, Ooh, cold. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it was brutal. I've been coaching them for a year. And I just got a picture of them both together hugging each other. And I'm like, finally, I, we brought that together. I'm curious, have you butt heads with anybody on your leadership team and been able to resolve it? Mark, I'm in sales. What do you think the number one thing we butt heads about? Splits. Splits. Right. I mean, come on. You know, everybody wants to feel like it's theirs. And, you know, I had a situation with with an individual within my organization and it was Everything was done. We're like we negotiated all the splits for, you know, for this fiscal year, and then there a new leader that reported to my peer came in, and they they wanted to renegotiate the splits. And I said, okay, I could have just said no. I could have just said no, but what does that solve? And my question back to them was, why? Why? Why are we? Why do we have to renegotiate this? And and it was, you know, fact based rebuttal. And my response back to this individual, which was my peer, is I said, I think you're getting taken advantage of. I think you need to go and actually challenge some of the information that you're getting because the information you're getting based on what I'm being told is actually not true. The individual came back to me again and said, well, hold on a second. Is the, the individual that's responsible for this account a global account manager? I said, they are. Do they get 100% of everything? I said, they do. And she said, well, that's why my team doesn't understand. I said, exactly. What we're where there's a complete disconnect in what you're being told and what reality is. It's not a split on the account, it's a split at the leadership level. And that that my peer came back and said, ah, now I understand where the disconnect is. And and the response was, we're good. And it's I've learned over the years that if you take the emotion out of it. I don't want that to come across as I'm unemotional because I am very emotional. Unfortunately, that's just who I am. I try to hide most of my emotion from my, from my team. But when it comes to the business aspects of it, it's just, it's just facts. And, you know, people are going to not be happy. And our job is not to make people happy. Our job is to go and do the task that we're paid to do. And so splits is, Probably the biggest one that we butt heads with, probably the second biggest thing that that I deal with a lot is around negotiation of whether or not we use our contracts versus our customer contracts. And so that is one where even, I even idea even I deal with that one. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah, everybody does, right? And so I have to deal with our legal team if I have conviction. And most of the time I don't have conviction we should, should use our customer contracts. And so the other day we were we had lost a deal three years ago to a customer and that customer find a different side of the customer came back. And this time though, we were at the right level. We were at the executive level at the customer. My team asked me to get on with the executive and have a conversation about their paper versus our paper. And, you know, just sort of 
sort of soften things up and get everybody aligned. And in the back end, I had I had worked with my my legal team to finally to get them to acquiesce that if I had to agree to use the customer paper, they would. I get on the phone with with the, the chief information officer and their chief legal officer, and he goes, "We don't have to use our paper. We can. I just tell you what we're what's important to us." And as long as you can address what's important to us, you know, in your contracts, we're good to go. And it was, I think, the sigh of relief from our legal side, but also, you know, ultimately the belief and the faith and the the trust that they had that I was going to represent them in our organization in a manner that was, you know, responsible, which is mm-hmm. commiserate with my role. And so those are those are the types of things I deal with every day. Now, the customers, customers aside. Yeah, some the thing the thing that you do really that I remember you doing really well is the matter of factness. It's you may have the emotion, you may you know you're human, you have all this ego stuff come up in any given situation, but having that emotional intelligence, having having that ability to set that aside, not press it down so that it you know turns into some kind of malady, but you know to set that aside so that it's just the facts. It's, let, let's just deal with the situation at hand, not the baggage that, that we bring bring to it, I think is a secret to almost every dispute. If you can really stick with what's happening right here, right now, and get to a shared set of data, then you can resolve almost anything. It's the baggage that take that drives it, you know. I, I didn't have that always. I mean, you know, I think early in my career, and that this comes with that experience thing, um, I didn't have that. And I would, I would, you know, I, I, everything was a nail and I was a hammer and regardless, go back and just hear a couple of the stories that, you know, I had to win, I had to win. It was my way. And I think you sort of learn quickly when you really ultimately understand what matters in the end, which is let's focus on the outcome. Let's focus on where we want to get to. And let's try to remove all the friction to get there as quickly as possible. And that's where I started to realize that sometimes, you know what? I was the problem. It wasn't the other person or it wasn't the other people. It was, I was the one that was slowing it down because, you know, I was digging my heels in or maybe I had some pride or maybe, you know, I wanted to feel people to feel like I, I was the smart one in the room. And then I, and then it got to the point where it's like, no, look, this is, if we get to here and that's the goal, then Let's go do it. Let's go figure out how to get there fast. And I think that's that was that was a really that was a learning experience that I had. And I probably I picked picked up on that definitely after I got married. Um, that 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 helped in in realizing that you know you, you it's not about it's not about always being right. It's about getting the right outcome. Like that. I'm curious. Have you ever had a 360 done for you, on you? Like people got gone and interviewed and given you the feedback. Have you gotten some feedback that you didn't like? Yeah, of course. How'd you deal with it? Tell me some feedback you didn't like and how you dealt with it. You know, sometimes I'm told that I'm I'm too direct. And, and that it was actually really good feedback. And I've taken that feedback and I've I've learned that words, you can have a, a, a single sentence and change one word and actually get a better outcome. You know, same or better outcome. Can you give me an example? Yeah. So there's an individual that that works here and he runs a really large account for us. And he he had a a really bad reputation internally because of I'm always right. I'm always right. I'm always right. And so as I as I started to to mentor him, I I asked him, I said, so what's it? Tell me about a day in the life of you talking to your customer. Okay, tell us about it. Tell me about the day in the life of you communicating internally. And it couldn't have been more polar opposite. 
And I said to him, I said, so I'll give you an example. We must do this for the customer. We must do this for the customer. And I asked him, so why, why do we need to do that for the customer? Well, the customer is asking us to do this because they're going to get this outcome. Okay. So when you go back to the product team, why wouldn't you say, hey, listen, I'd really like you to consider putting this feature in our product because our customer believes that they'll get this outcome. What did you do? You said the same exact thing. You just said it differently. Right. And over time, and I've, I've literally, I've told this individual that he went from the guy that you pick up your phone and you're like, oh God, I don't want to talk to him to I pick up the phone. I look, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to talk to him. This ought to be good. Like I'm excited about it. People can learn. See that people can learn. Leadership is a skill. Communications is a skill that you can learn. It's so amazing. So you are a direct guy. Yeah. You, do, you do speak, you do, and you speak truth to power. Tell me about being I do. And guys like Dave Snyder and Frank Slootman are like, wherever I go, I'm taking John Sapone. How do you become? I don't want to put words in their mouth. I, you said that. I didn't I'm putting that. I'm putting those words in their mouth. Uh, and if they're listening, I know that that's what they think. So why do you th- why do you think that's the case? How how did you become you know a go to guy for these people? I've talked to them about this, both of them actually, and I think one of the things that the world is full of great people. I don't think anybody will debate that. But the world isn't full of great people that do stuff, that are doers, <laughs> that run to fires, that run to challenges. And I look, I tend to be somebody that really enjoys a challenge. Am I going to be somebody that goes and work at a company that's got, you know, 40,000 employees that can't make a difference and everything I say you know, I have to be careful because, you know, um, so-and-so may, you know, might get offended or blah, blah, blah. That's not me. I'm going to go into an organization. I could potentially just rip the guts out and then do what it takes to make sure that it becomes a well-oiled machine. And Frank and I were having a conversation about this back at our summit this summer. And we actually talked about a number of people that just washed out that just were great but lived in the past and weren't ready to go and do and i think if you probably asked dave or mike they would probably call me a doer and Mm -hmm. and i'm by the way i'm really proud of that moniker i i like a challenge and even to the point where you know we do something here they're gonna say all right well make him do it because he'll do it and i'm like okay whatever i like it Tom Mendoza introduced me to a guy named, I think it's Dave Riley. He was a CTO for a bunch of the uh, big financial institutions. He's going to be on the podcast. And his thing is, the reason that he's moved up in the organizations is because he's the guy who runs towards danger. He said, if you want to move up in the organization, put yourself in harm's way. That's the way he put it. And that's what what you just said. It's people who are willing to put themselves in harm's way and do what needs to be done to get where, where the organization needs to go. Well, you look at all these successful executives, and that's exactly why they got there, because they took a job that nobody else wanted, or they took a job, and they weren't concerned about getting fired. They weren't concerned about losing their job. They were more concerned about you know delivering the results that were expected than to worry about what people care with what people think about them, or worried about, geez, if I if I don't do this right, if I don't do it right, which is maybe the way that they think somebody else is going to do it, they're going to get fired. Like I, 
I mean, I, I think about my 90 day contract every 90 days. I've got a, I have a responsibility <laughs> to go and deliver on expectations every 90 days. I've lived that way for 30 years and I don't, I don't think I could live any other way, but truth be told, you know, being a leader requires a long-term vision and you need to pull the levers and turn the knobs all throughout those 90 days to ensure you've got success for many years to come. I know that if something happened and maybe I made a big mistake or maybe I didn't deliver on my commitments, it could happen. I mean, it could happen. And if they asked me to, to, to move, to leave the organization, I know even to this day that we wouldn't miss a beat. Because of the organization you built under you. Yeah. That's that says I was going to ask you a question, but this could be the answer to the question. You know, you've now had a several decades long career as a leader. What are you most proud of as your legacy as a leader? I'm going to answer that question a little bit differently. And, you know, I often get asked, you know, how have you become so successful? And my answer to that question is, am I? Like, what is success? What does success mean to you? You describe what success is, and I'll tell you if I'm successful in your mind. Am I successful? I mean, look, I am very, you know, difficult on, on sort of myself. I look back, by the way, let me go on record and say, I wouldn't change a thing. I used to preach about work-life balance to people and all these things. And, and then one day I woke up and I was like, you're preaching about it because you don't have it and you never will. So just stop talking about it and don't try to coach people to have work-life balance because you are not qualified to be a coach, okay? You're trying to tell somebody how to play tennis and you can't even, you don't even know what a tennis racket looks As like. a coach, I tell people that work-life balance is bullshit anyway, so don't worry. It is bullshit. <laughs> I'm telling you. And, and so it's, I look back, you know, my kids are, I've got two that are about to graduate high school, going to college. I've got one that's going to graduate college in, in December. I walked into my kids' middle and high school the other day, no joke, and I had an opportunity to help my wife serve senior lunch because I happened to be in town. And we're walking down the hall. My wife's like, oh, this is so-and-so. And I was like, oh, hi. Good to see you. She's like, we've never met. And I was like, oh, okay. She's like, do you know your children have been here for over 10 years? I have never met you. I actually, to the point where some of my my children's friends don't even think I'm alive. I mean, like that's how often I'm not home. And so this is back to the success thing. Am I successful? I mean, my wife raised three great kids as a single mom. Could I have done things differently? Yeah, probably. But would it have afforded me the career that I've had? Absolutely not. I don't like to think of me being successful because then that means I'm done and I'm not done. I feel like I'm going to do this as long as I, they'll let me and as long as I'm having fun. And so maybe when the day comes and I have the opportunity to retire and kick back and sit with my feet in the sand and have a beer, you know, maybe I can look back and say, yeah, gee, I was successful. I don't know. Until then, I'm just going to keep keep going. It's interesting. I, I, I interviewed you when I, I was writing the book, Mastering Midlife, which turned into a podcast instead of a book. And you were kind enough to talk to me way back then when I was doing this, because I've been doing this for a really long time now. You said, and a couple of other people that I interviewed said, if you're going to have a career where you're balls to the wall, you have to have an agreement with your significant other that mm -hmm. this is what we're going to do. This is the sacrifice you need to make. This is the sacrifice I'm going to make. This is where you need help. So have you had those negotiation conversations with your wife over the years? Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you, 
So I, I told you the data domain story. Then I go to work at ServiceNow and, and I literally, I sat my wife down and I said, look, I'm starting over again. You're not going to see me for four more years. She's like, I mean, come on, like what else is new? And so, you know, truth be told, that happened. Fast forward, Frank called me and said, you're, you're coming to work at Snowflake. And I sat, and at this point in my life, it, I was a little bit different, you know, obviously a lot older. Financially, I'm, you know, in, in a little bit more flexibility, but and my kids are a little bit older and they're, you know, sort of at the tail end of being at home. And I sat my wife down. I had already made the decision to go. She's already been a single mom her entire life. And I sat her down and I said, I'm going to do this again. And you're not going to see me for four years, like full stop. I got to go and I am not going to do this half-assed. And she looked at me and she goes, you know, John, I wouldn't have it any other way. And then COVID hit and I was home for two years straight. (laughs) Now, I mean, you want to talk about a shock to the system. I'm almost flown 3 million miles domestically. So COVID hits, living in Georgia, we were a little bit more flexible and, and we had signed a lease to open an office in Atlanta, December, 2019, was supposed to be ready April 20, COVID hit. It gets ready in June of 2020. I called up my CFO and I was like, you got to get me in that office. You got to, I can't work from home. And so, you know, I, I actually worked in an office for, by myself for a year and a half. Now I started traveling a little bit more and it was really, it was really interesting to go through that, that period because I almost sort of overcompensated a little bit mm. to the point where my kids started calling me non-John. They call me, you can ask anyone, my kids, they called me non-John. You're like, you're, you're not yourself. Get rid of that guy who, you know, thinks he's going to be the work-life balance guy. Get rid of him. We want regular John back. And so that lasted for a little bit there. And non-John, we got rid of him. I love that you know who you are. You know, you know who you are. You know what you need. Your wife knows who you are. Your kids know who you are. And somehow they all grow. Everybody grows up and everybody, everybody's, everybody's good. As long as we're honest about what we're doing and what's important to all of us. It, the difference would be is if your wife was like, no, I want a husband who is at the parent teacher concert. You know, then you have to have another conversation, which, you know, you've been married for a long time and it works. Right. So that's, that's pretty cool. So I'm curious, what's, what do you, what do you think is next for your leadership journey? Where do you think you're headed? Well, I mean, I've got to take a customer out to dinner tonight um, and thank them for our business. And then uh, I'm just kidding with you. I, I, I don't know. Mark, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. That's I mean, why I like me, that answer. Not... That answer was perfect. The answer is I'm doing what I do and I don't, I, I haven't good. mapped out a career. I'm going to go where I'm needed and, and it's just going to, it's going to go that way. That's the way it's always been for me. I get asked that question all the time and I never chase a title. I, I never chase a role. I just go and do the job that they asked me to do. And I just, when there's a challenge, I go and run to it and try to do it better and try to fix it. That's amazing. And for that, I'm good. I'm good. I live in Atlanta. If I am who I am for the rest of my life, I am good. And I'm, I'm all right with that. And you know, John, there's a bunch of Mark J. Silvermans who are so grateful there that their paths crossed because uh, you, uh, we talked before I turned on the mic. And most people who listen to my podcast know my story of being homeless and all all the stuff that I've that I've gone through. You met me at the lowest point in my entire life, and that was the year that I turned everything into gold. And uh, because of you and Kevin Haverty and Snyder and Collins and O'Donnell and all those people, I am who I am today. So there's a bunch of me's around because you are that kind of guy. 
So you have a legacy. That, that was you, Mark. Really proud of. That was you. That wasn't us. We were just there to help you get through those times. I mean, look, I, I just like Collins, just like Haverty, just like all those guys, we recognized that diamond that was inside of you that we just needed to get you comfortable and confident about who you are and who you were as a person and what your what your capabilities were and you didn't disappoint anybody you just at time after time delivered on what needed to be done and you were extremely organized and thoughtful about it and there was never a point in time that we ever questioned our decision there man it was again Talk about an opportunity to be proud of what somebody's accomplished. This is a prime example. And this is why I had you on the podcast. And this is where we're going to end on how amazing Mark is. John, thanks for sharing yourself. Thanks for sharing your journey and uh, and your wisdom. I just really appreciate you. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm humbled to have been asked, especially given the, the cast of individuals that have been before me and are going to be after me. So um, thanks for having me, Mark. It's great to talk to you again. It's amazing. To everybody else, I really appreciate your time and attention. I love you. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining today's conversation. If you got value, please share the episode, give us a thumbs up, write us a review. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question that you have, send them my way. Look forward to connecting on the next episode of the Rising Leader Podcast.